Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Roisin. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to Yannick Boom, the fortnightly podcast hosted by three deadly feminist midwives exploring women's reproductive and sexual health. This week, we're talking about early pregnancy. Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome back. Welcome back. How are we all? Good. Great, yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. On this balmy summer's evening. (laughs) With you two. Yeah. You don't sound convinced. That's not sincere at all. <laughs> oh my god! You want to leave? <laughs> I'm here with you guys. With a gun to my head <laughs> and a microphone shoved into my face, <laughs> having a great time. Oh. I am somewhat still in a rage about my news this week, okay. which is that Amy was Instagramming um, that she had sought my. Fellow Dolly, fellow underscore Dolly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of something to do with her thesis. And I, she put it up on Instagram, what she had asked me, Mm -hmm. which was why do, why in academic writing is the word doctors started always with a capital D, but the word midwives is not. So we were kind of joking back and forth about it. And I wanted to Instagram her story and cover it in pregnancy and birth related giffies or stickers or whatever the hell people are calling them these days. <laughs> giffies. The, the kids calling them. What? A giffy. Oh, kids calling them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I could not find but a one if I typed mm. in pregnancy or birth or midwifery. So I was trying to get creative and a friend of ours uh, messaged me privately to say, try doula. You'll probably get loads of stuff for that. And the only thing that came up when I typed in doula was some sort of weird flashy text saying exposing birth. I was like, what's going on in America about that? Um, So then I was like think outside the box it's really not outside the box I typed in labour <laughs> whoa um, and it was this really sad miserable looking woman in a hospital gown mm. bouncing on a birthing ball it was literally the only imagery available to me on Instagram to convey pregnancy labour birth experience jeepers so I went down a wee little rabbit hole of rage <laughs> And I just put up some stories where I was basically saying that we can't rely on singular imagery to represent such a broad experience. Yeah. And that that is dangerous for many reasons, but namely because, and I think sometimes people, maybe at me, I don't know, um, don't really believe the power of the imagery yeah. that we're exposed to mm. on the regs mm. uh, or on that the reg. like yeah. she's totally down with I'm kids cool. she's totally down with kids <laughs> the I've, been, wa- her and I've been watching Love Island um, we won't <laughs> we that. we're not going there we could go there but we won't I think sometimes it's hard there. to admit to yourself that all of the things that you're exposed to over time actually influence you and that you are a person that is under the influence of imagery and society because you like to think that you're an individual thinker and that you're not yeah like last night when my husband said as we were watching that Cambridge Analytica thing well this doesn't apply to me because advertising doesn't work on me anyway (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah okay yeah Mm. sure it works on us all whether you like to think it does or not unless you're like 
so off grid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> Alaska working. off grid. You know, if you're buying yeah. clothes yeah. in a shop, if you're. Hello to all of our Alaskan <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if I knew some sort of Alaskan turn of phrase, I'd insert it here. <laughs> <laughs> having a moment here now mm-hmm. okay yes if you buy new clothes so you're everything that you're seeing whether you realize it or not is influencing you and forming the basis of what your brain tells you then is the expected yeah. experience so if that's in the fashion industry that you're being told for seasons in advance that red is the new black. Yeah. Suddenly, before you realise it, in six to 18 months time, you will own something red. It's it's science. There's science behind it. It's why advertising mm. works, like, yeah. basically. But that also applies for the imagery that we use all the time in media and social media of how we tell the stories of things that happen in our lives. So if we're constantly saying that birth only happens, well, first of all, with this image that I used, to white women, and Mm. it only happens in hospital because she was wearing a hospital gown, and it's only painful and miserable because that's how she Mm. was conveyed, then we're repeatedly telling that story and saying that that's all that birth and people who birth are and ever can be, will be. And the things that need to be available to treat them, to care for them, to support them are the only things that should be available because they're all the same. Yeah. But I'll read the things that I said so that we can get clear on this from the out. These were fantastic stories. Um, if you're lucky enough to follow at Road <laughs> CS, you will get regular feminist so, commentary um, on a multitude of topics. I, I do tend to go on some rants. It's no, not they're, not the rants. they're not rants. Like they're maybe not rants. You're making a point. That's if a male was doing that, do you call think he'd call it a rant? rant? No. No. Like I'm gonna I say, call it more a diatribe. TED Talk. I'm not a, set, I'm not a 72 stories a day kind of gal. So you'll get some quality punchy content. You not like, you not that like that me and me. Tara, you you're trash. Not like the trash no, we're I'm rolling out. I'm actually thinking of the person who annoys me most on Instagram, who I'm obviously not going to name, who does hun- like, I mean, like there's too oh, many. I, you're talking about I don't want to listen. Stop talking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I put up like four stories in a row of you my don't daughter need to eating a watermelon, like, are you, I do love you not those. like that content? That's I the, love it. I, I ask for personal videos of I your children eating. And you get them. And I get them. So what I said was that imagery and symbolism matters. The way we depict birth and birthing people lays the foundation blocks for what people believe birth experiences are. And when enough of us think that birth only happens that way, it becomes a societal norm, which is fucking dangerous. Yep. Birth and birthing and birthing people exist in the world in many ways. Birth can be miserable and hard fucking work, but it can also be painfully, gloriously beautiful. And you can trust us. We've seen a lot of births Mm -hmm. and a lot of birthing people. There is no singular experience or typical person going through that experience. And then I just put out a few like little what birth can be and what birthing people can be Mm -hmm. and not be. Mm. Birth is hard. It's painful. I'm not speaking from personal experience of actually giving birth, but of 
witnessing birth yep. and the person in the room who has given birth can testify hopefully mm-hmm. that I haven't fucked it up and got it really wrong nope. it's hard it's painful it's energetic it's scary it's beautiful it's rewarding it's bloody it includes your poo a lot of the time it's happy it can be really sad it can be really lonely it can be fulfilling it can be orgasmic yeah that's very true and we Hopefully, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about labour. Yeah, I hope so. I have a friend who had an orgasmic birth. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Better to come in yeah. and give us a I'd love to hear what she has to say about it. She had two home births and I think the second one was oh, orgasmic. incredible. Yeah. Amazing. I believe in it so much. Yeah. Like, so, so much. And it can be a million other things in between, by the way. there It's whatever your birth was, yeah. that is what birth is. There is yeah. no right or wrong. No. Um, and birthing people are all colours, all sizes, all creeds, no creeds, all walks of life. Rich, poor, homeless, migrants, yep. criminals, activists, fucking beautiful, every type of person you can think of. And they can identify whatever fucking way they want. And you don't have to get it. You just have to accept it. Basically, how we tell the stories of what we do and how we represent this in imagery forms what we as a whole society think. And if we're only telling this one story, that's the only story that future generations will hear. And they won't ever expect anything different to happen. And they will basically constantly be receiving messages that the way they're experiencing something or the way that they're being in birth is invalid. And that becomes really dangerous then when healthcare professionals also buy into this singular story because then people who are different and are accessing care don't get the treatment and the care Mm. and the support that they need because they don't, air quotes, fit into the norm that has been built that the healthcare professionals believe is the only way Mm -hmm. that this shit can go down. And that's when we run into problems where people's agency, their choices around their births, where they want to birth, how they want to birth, with who becomes at risk and Mm -hmm. even then their lives. And that's when we start to see movements like Black Mamas Matter, All Mamas Matter, Trans Birth Matters, Empowered Birth Projects that we've talked about before, that we need movements like that to challenge this kind of singular imagery. So my wonderful husband said to me after he read my rant he was like you know we can do something about this he was like you find me the images or the videos of things that you want to see as gifts Mm -hmm. and I will turn them into gifts and we'll submit them and then there will be loads of stuff on in gifts amazing yes so when we have time together we're gonna do it that's amazing. And we're going to change the fucking narrative. So watch the space. Hmm. And if you are so technologically minded, yeah. also add your own gifts. Yeah. Would love to see them. Yeah. Yeah. We That's... would love to see some gifts G- or giffies. Or giffies. <laughs> There's a Y on the end of it. I know. I think that's just the brand, the app, isn't it? Or yeah. 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 The, the... Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> okay. I was like, thinking, you just thought it's like. <laughs> An absolute idiot. I thought you were mis. I thought you didn't know what a gif was, and I was running with it. But it turns out I've now. No, no it's like one that's giffy. spelled like okay. P-H-Y. I just, yeah. I, yeah. I realize that now. You're, so you're going to hear me laughing about giffy like several times. Anyway, anyway, anyway that was great, Roisin. 
<laughs> can I hop on your uh, train there yeah. and add in our feminists of the fortnight now? Yeah, just yeah. because I feel it fits in yeah. Yeah. so well. So uh, we've chosen a woman called Candice um, Brafate. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so Candice is an English woman and she is an Instagrammer. She is... Um, I don't know will I use the term influencer or not, but she has certainly influenced me to look at a lot of things that I may not have come across otherwise. Um, so she has her own Instagram account and then she also runs the Instagram account um, at Make Motherhood Diverse, which is a, a really cool um, account that that talks about all those things that you were just talking yeah. about. So when you go on to Make Motherhood Diverse, you see mothers who are... Um, all shapes, all sizes, all colors. They, some of them, um, you know, are women uh, with differently able, you know, uh, bodies than than the mo- than most. Um, there's a really good, there's a really good mix. Um, she's really vocal online, um, but also she was one of the um, amazing women who featured on BBC Women's Hour. Uh, by the time this comes out, it will have been a few weeks ago, um, but they did a fantastic episode all about how, um, like we, we mentioned it here before, um, black women in the UK and Ireland five times more likely to die than white women in childbirth, Asian women two times as more likely Um so she was one of the women who featured on that episode. It's really good. Go back and listen to it. It's all on. Um, we can link it in our. Sh- in we'll our link notes, it in our show we? notes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do a post about our feminist of the fortnight too. Won't we? Yeah, but we'll put the link to the women's hour oh, episode yeah, yeah, cool. specifically as well. Um, and then and on her page as well, there's also a link um, to a petition in the UK. So obviously here in Ireland we can't sign it, but any of our UK listeners might uh, click on her petition. So the petition is to improve maternal care for black British women. Um, Are you not allowed to sign things like that if you're not in the country that it applies to? I don't. I don't sign it because I don't pay tax in that country. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's usually country specific for that kind of stuff. I would think it is. We're open to be corrected. Yeah, absolutely open to correction. Mm. But do you remember during the repeal campaign, there was a lot of influence from the States and there was a lot of, you know. That's what I was thinking of. True. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or there was talk of a lot of influence from the States, but you had to prove that you were in Ireland. And and there was a couple that were kind of nurse and midwife specific and you had to provide evidence that you were a nurse or midwife in Ireland with your with your pin, you know, mm. to sign certain petitions. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. And join certain groups and stuff. Um, so I don't ever sign petitions for other countries for things like that yeah. you know that are going to, be like to know. the UK government um, but yeah as 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 we say open to open to correction um, but yeah certainly give her a follow follow um, Make Motherhood Diverse um, and um, another woman who is very active on Instagram in the movement is um, Mars Lord who also operates um, Abuela Dula so Thanks. also worth um checking them out yeah yeah just i thought i would i would pop that in there as it fits quite well with um 
your amazing <laughs> collection Sorry, I just of had stories. My mic there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. um, early pregnancy. Early pregnancy. Here we go. Amy, you're up. So um, starting from, so I suppose we should say that this episode we will be talking about people who have wanted pregnancies. Um, the majority of the information that we're giving is for people who are choosing to continue their pregnancy. Um, we will say we will be doing another episode further down the line on terminations and we'll kind of briefly touch on it here, but um, just for the purposes of clarity, we're not forgetting about those people. So um, first things first, uh, pregnancy tests. So what we would say is the type of test that you're going to use should depend on whether or not you have, whether or not you want to be pregnant or whether or not you don't want to be pregnant. So if you want to be pregnant, um, it's best to use a low sensitivity test around a week after your period was due um, with your first pee of the day. So low sensitivity tests are tests that require kind of much higher levels of the hormone HCG in your urine and a high sensitivity test is something that can basically pick up a very small level of HCG in your urine. So kind of if you're thinking of first response, clear blue, um, they can be used often kind of quite soon after implantation before your period is um, before your period is even due, yeah. Mm. So fifty. So once you have an implantation, around fifty percent of um, pregnancies that implant will fail before your period is due. So yeah. that would look to you like just you got your period. Yeah. So it looks to you like you. So if you're using just if you're doing normal pregnancy testing, which is waiting for your period to be late before doing a test, it's something that you'd never know about because the tests will come up negative. You get your period. Um, but if you are do using one of these really high sensitivity tests, you can get a positive test. Then your period can arrive on the day. Yeah, you have the kind of disappointment of thinking that you you have a pregnancy, yeah. and it isn't actually a pregnancy. It yeah. could have been an implantation that just wasn't going to work, which is normal. That's I suppose that's the thing to stress. So, yeah. like, just get some pregnancy tests from Deals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're all the same. They're all the same, yeah. So those yeah. would be the low sensitivity. Yeah, those are the low sensitivity. That you take sens- when your period is late. Exactly. And then um, I suppose if you were really anxious and you didn't want to be pregnant, then I think one of the tests, like the ones that are going to give you yeah, a, a quicker response is a really... Fair, yeah. yeah, very much. I think a lot of people do use, you know, they do use the high sense. People can't really wait. People want kind of instant results um, and it's hard not to, but I think... Ultimately, it is better to yeah. at least wait until your period is late. Yeah, because I, I suppose then you would see in the emergency department a lot of very disappointed and sad yeah. couples. And that's it. Yeah, that and it's from people using they these had tests. an implantation, but now their period has arrived. Yeah. yeah, it's fair. I think it's a big, you know, if you go online, there's actually huge, there's so much conversation about it. Yeah. Mm. Um, of people now just having the facility to test very early for pregnancy yeah. and then having disappointment. So that's for that. Um, once you find out, so as I said, this is for people who are planning to continue their pregnancy. You would go to your GP, have your pregnancy confirmed and then would arrange to have your um, booking appointment. So 
generally speaking, I actually wanted to check this. If you're booking with a self-employed community midwife, can you book with them from the very start or do you usually have your booking visit in a hospital? They usually recommend, I think, linking with, with, a, hospital. with a hospital. With a hospital, yeah. Yeah, because you're still under the HSC umbrella, so you get your scans and everything yeah. in with the hospital. So you book... Um, yeah, and they will they'll usually just recommend whatever whatever hospital is closest to you, you book with them. Um just for a link. Perfect. So yeah, so then everyone in Ireland then will be booking with either a hospital. Um and then I suppose what avenue of care you choose will kind of be decided from then. So we had discussed um, in our last episode, we discussed preconceptual care. So at your booking appointment is where if you have any specialist needs in pregnancy, that's where it's going to be decided what kind of care that you need. Do you need to go to a specialist clinic? Are there any extra supports that you need um, either for physical problems, mental health problems, or if you need any social supports? Um, they'll go through your full history. So your obstetric, medical, surgical history, You'll have a full set of bloods done, your weight, they'll test your urine. Um, and this kind of forms, this is a really, really important visit because it forms the basis for how your care is planned for the rest of your pregnancy. Mm. Um, you will also have your booking scan. So ideally, this is meant to be done kind of 10 to 12 weeks in Ireland at the moment. I think a lot of women are not booking till a bit later just 14. because of... Yeah, and that's There's just because it's the backlog. Most women, I think, would be ringing when they're around seven-ish weeks pregnant, mm. typically. Mm. They've found out they're pregnant, they've confirmed their GP, they're ringing the hospital. It's a, a seven-week-ish wait. Yeah. But they're not... I guess it differs from centre to centre, but in the most part, the centres are... Every every hospital in Ireland is busy. It's busy, yeah. yeah. So, you know... Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Whether you're coming to a place in Dublin that has 8,000 births a year or you're coming to a place... Um, outside of Dublin that has 2,000 births a year, the number of sonographers that they have, the number of midwives that they have reflects that. And so the waiting time is similar in every in every unit. Yeah. Whenever you contact the hospital, you're going to roughly wait six weeks for, for, your, for your dating scan. So the earlier that you contact, the better, you know, ideally to get to get in. But but yeah, you're 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 going to be wait, you're going to wait Expected a couple of expected around yeah. twelve I would say rather t- than 10 to 12 maybe 12 to 14 weeks yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and that's whether in the for the most part whether you're going whether you've decided to go with public or or private or it's private. very much the same or with your own midwife or hospital birth or yeah 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 that's what I was going to say so it's kind of the main avenues the main options are mid or free led care obstetric led care semi private private self employed community midwives and then private um home birth midwives so i suppose we'll have another episode in the future where, where we'll properly discuss all of those but that's just a brief outline um so we would recommend for anyone um who's going to be a patient in hospital the national healthcare charter you and your health service so this is a statement of commitment by the HSE describing what you can expect when using health services in Ireland and what you can do to help Irish health services to deliver more effective and safe services. So it's based on access, dignity and respect, safe and effective services, communication and information, participation, privacy, improving health and accountability. So we'll link the that charter in the um 
show notes. It's also on the HSE website. Um, and then I suppose I want to just mention, so this is an opt-in service. So this is a paid service. It's not available as routine screening. Um, but a lot of people, I actually couldn't find figures for how many people are choosing it in Ireland, but it's called uh, NIPT, so non-invasive prenatal testing. So this happens in generally the first trimester. So it's opt-in, you pay for it. Um, it's kind of between two and three hundred euro. Um, mm. You can get it in most maternity hospitals or private organisations offer it as well. Yeah. And basically it's an ultrasound and it's also some bloods and it, the aim is they're screaming, screening for um, chromosomal abnormalities, namely Down syndrome, Edwards and Pateau syndrome. So it's not diagnostic. It gives you a risk calculation and then based on that risk, you can opt in to have further more invasive testing. So I think a lot of couples are choosing it um, in the UK. It would obviously be routine as far as I know, isn't it? I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Well, my friend that worked as a midwife in the UK, I remember her saying, I think everybody just got it done there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they had to pay, but she said it was kind of the norm. I know my sister who had a baby just outside of London was surprised to find that it wasn't, not that it wasn't routine, but that it wasn't routinely offered yes. as an additional service that you could access. That like most pe- people in Ireland don't even know it exists. Yeah. yeah. Or you have to go searching for the information yourself. Whereas she was like, it's like offered to you in the UK. In the, yeah. yeah. Even though it yeah. costs you extra money. Okay. Yeah. So... So she did pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I think in that's what it is. You pay for but it, but it's very, just kind of the given. Very, very much a norm. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. I have a feeling it's the same in Australia. I'm not 100% open to correction. Any of our Australian listeners. listeners. We have some Australian listeners. Yeah, yeah. we do. We do. And Alaska. Hi. All over the globe. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, so. Brilliant. Roisin, you're going to discuss the normal physiological changes. Yeah. So basically, for anyone that maybe doesn't know or understand, um, we would divide pregnancy, the period of time that a pregnancy takes into what we call trimesters. So trimester is the term used to specifically define the different stages of your pregnancy and what happens within those stages. The word itself has origins in Latin and French. And basically the try is three and the mester is months. So they roughly mm. represent three months periods of three month periods of time. Yes. So given the average pregnancy, most people know, know to last nine months, actually 10. And mm-hmm. um, there are three trimesters in what we're discussing here, which is normal, healthy, continuing pregnancies. Um, and just to bear in mind that... There are lots of kind of colloquialisms and terminology used like that that you'll encounter when you start going into a service that people will be saying using the word normal to describe one experience doesn't mean that we're saying a different experience is abnormal. Yeah, absolutely. But we do have to maybe think about the language that we're using in healthcare and the way we describe things, but just to kind of flag with people that they may hear that type of language. Yeah. 
Um, so your first trimester of pregnancy, I think Amy kind of touched on a little bit, begins on the first day of your last period and it lasts until the end of week 12. You'll find some information online and some healthcare professionals who will say up to the end of week 14 because of the way the nine months is actually 10 months if you counted it up yes. day by day of your pregnancy. Um, and what I would say is if you are accessing information online um, at this time, just to be conscious that information about early pregnancy can be very cleverly concealed with a pro-life and or religious agenda, which may not be for you. So just to make sure that you're looking at the source of information, I think, first before you start reading. So I've linked a few um YouTube videos that go really nicely through kind of fetal development week by week. Brilliant. Just look at who is putting out those videos because sometimes they can be coming from people that maybe might not have the same viewpoints as you about fetal development, particularly. Um, and I would also say that this is a really important time for you to think about if you and your baby are safe. Yes. So that's something that's going to come up at your first visit. Mm -hmm. But something for you to think about um, because it's a really significant time in your life and you're bringing a new person into the world. And while a situation that you may have been in may have been OK for you, you may decide that it's not OK for you and your baby yeah. and that the midwife at your first booking visit is a really important port of call to signify any kind of domestic violence or social situations that you don't feel safe in and generally your midwife will ask you try to ask you without the presence of your partner if you are safe but if that doesn't happen for you or it's not the correct time try maybe to talk to a midwife at a suitable time and let them know if you're having difficulties in that way yeah I think that I think they're pretty strict all around the country now about you know, having... To document that that question has been asked. No, but um, to to speak with the woman on her own for the booking visit for oh. that purpose. Yeah. I think they're, I think, I think they're quite kind of strict at enforcing that around the country. Yeah. You know, um, that they make it very clear. Um, I think it might have even been on my letter from the hospital before I went in for my second yeah. booking visit mm. that you it will be perfect seen alone. Yeah. for this visit you know it's so important yeah. yeah it's so important yeah and we've all seen incidences where yeah people become very unhappy at not being yeah. into the room and in with someone yeah in particular this is anecdotal but i believe there is kind of some research out there to suggest that transitional times in people's lives can lead to kind of an upsurge yeah. in mm. domestic violence yeah. and so Absolutely. the announcement of a pregnancy can sometimes be a very challenging time for a person and their partner who is obviously you know going through something as well and yeah. acting out and so it's important to kind of grab onto the supports that are there for you mm -hmm. when you can yeah um Amy touched a little bit about and Tara as well in preconceptual care last time, just things to avoid at this time of pregnancy. So we would recommend routinely avoiding alcohol, smoking, um, the use of recreational drugs, certain medications, and then being in close proximity to certain, I suppose, would you say viral illness? Are they all viral illnesses? 
like chicken poxy things, yeah. slap cheek. They're all viral. They are. Yeah. Parvovirus, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Toxoplasmosis. Yeah. Wash your vegetables. Wash your vegetables. Don't change cat litter. Yeah. Um, and if you're concerned, obviously. If, some, if somebody tells you that their kid has a weird rash, because that's always kind of the case, mm. just stay, steer clear. Yeah. yeah. Steer clear, you know. If you don't want to tell them you're pregnant yet, that's okay. You know, just find another reason to avoid. Yeah. And telling people in your own time is... Yeah. Is, oh yeah, it's absolutely fine. And if you yeah. do come in contact with anyone or any, you know, that has something that you're not sure of, just contact your, um, the hospital that you're attending and they'll have protocols in place for yeah. what they do. So it's, yeah. you know, it's all very common. It happens. It's impossible to go through your pregnancy without coming into contact with... With something, something that something, may be yeah. risky. Yeah. You know, the majority of people will cross paths with someone who's ill, you know. Yeah. And, and it's it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Majority yeah. of the time. Yeah. So a little bit about then kind of what's going to be happening to your body um, in the first trimester of pregnancy. All of the changes that are happening in your body are happening because of increasing levels of different hormones that start to be released by the embryo and the forming placenta and mm. your body a little bit the pregnancy kind of takes over the hormone release after a certain stage um, and basically like the hormones have an impact on every single system in your body like nothing kind of goes unnoticed in terms yeah. of even if they're really minor and insignificant that you may not even realise but your body is going through a massive amount of physical change mm -hmm. Big things probably that you'll notice symptoms from in the early days will be your cardiovascular system, your gastrointestinal system, your renal system and possibly your mental health. Um, so I'm just going to go through a few of them here. If I can. Let me just. This is great. Pushing. I actually can't read. I have contact lenses in today and I'm like, I cannot read. Do you want a hand? No, I'm good. Okay. I, I have it. I've magnified times a million here. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, a successful pregnancy is all about a correct balance of these hormones. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a, an unsuccessful pregnancy will be identified later on as you having had a hormonal imbalance and that may be then corrected in future pregnancies to make those pregnancies successful. Mm -hmm. Um, so initially the ovaries and then later the placenta are the main producers of these pregnancy related hormones and they're essential in creating and maintaining the correct conditions for the pregnancy to thrive. So following conception, the new embryo must sort of signal its presence to your body mm -hmm. and start, um, it's when it, it's releasing, um, HCG, so human, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, human chorionic gonadotrophin. Which is what's in your urine, that's what you're testing yes, for, testing pregnancy for. tests. Yeah. So this is like your indicator of pregnancy, as Amy said, um, and it's partly responsible for the more frequent urination experienced by pregnant women in the first trimester. Um, this is because this hormone causes more blood to flow to the pelvic area because obviously a growing pregnancy needs blood supply. Mm -hmm. But that also impacts on your kidneys and your bladder, which impacts how quickly you're processing and eliminating waste. So you're making more urine, basically. Yeah. So you're peeing more. 
Yeah. So that's probably one of the and early symptoms. Yeah, and there's pressure on your bladder from your growing your uterus. Growing uterus. Exactly. Yeah, the weight. Exactly. Yeah. Then progesterone and estrogen are kind of playing a little role as well. Um, progesterone is steadily rising until the birth of your baby mm-hmm. throughout your pregnancy. During the first few weeks, it's produced from the corpus luteum, which um, is a temporary kind of gland from the like the ovaries and the release of your egg that we talked about in our menstruation menstruation episode. episode um, that is the release of the hormone from the corpus luteum is needed to maintain your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, the progesterone that's being released has many diverse functions which are vital to your pregnancy and they include increasing blood flow to your uterus by stimulating the growth of existing blood vessels, vessels mm-hmm. that are there, mm-hmm. stimulating glands in the lining of the womb, the endometrium, to produce nutrients to sustain your embryo, stimulating your endometrium to grow and thicken by producing decidua. Um, and this is what lays the kind of foundation blocks to create your placenta and allow implantation and your embryo implants then into your decidua and they make a happy little partnership and you get your placenta and your fetus then yeah. and all those things come into fetal development. Mm-hmm. Um, so as your placenta forms and grows, it starts to develop the ability to produce the hormones yes. to sustain your pregnancy. And then... That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I don't know if I didn't know this or forgot this. I'd say you forgot it. But the cells that make up the placenta are called trophoblasts. Mm-hmm. They are able to convert cholesterol from the pregnant person's bloodstream into progesterone. I did not know that. I know. I don't think Maybe I Maybe I did. Just... Wow. I, I mean, I knew that was what was going on, but I didn't know it was to do with cholesterol levels. No. Yeah, no. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. So it's I love a, all the things that we learn I here know. together. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it makes me really happy. So it's around between weeks six and nine that the placenta takes over from the ovaries as the main producers mm-hmm. of progesterone. Um, and basically, as I said, it's important for fetal development. It prevents the muscles of your uterus contracting until the onset of your labour. Yep. Hopefully. Um, it prevents lactation until it's the right time for lactation. Yeah. So you need slightly lower levels of progesterone then for your lactation to start yeah. after um, you've had your baby. Yeah, so that's real lactation. Like lactogenesis one is the production of very small amounts of milk during the pregnancy, which is normal. Yeah. You know, women will often hand express out little bits of milk mm. and that's absolutely fine. It doesn't mean that your progesterone level is falling, that you're going no. to... To, you're not you're not yeah, a really important baby. to know but yeah for lactogenesis too which is producing milk after your baby is born that's when your progesterone is on Starts the way down. to drop yeah yeah and progesterone also strengthens the muscles of your pelvic wall to support your pregnancy mm-hmm. and to prepare for labor um estrogen is also very important um as I said, it's made and released by the corpus luteum, the ovaries, and then later the fetal placental unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and levels of this hormone are also steadily increasing and have a wide range of effects, including maintaining and controlling the stimulating 
the and stimulating the production of the other pregnancy hormones. So it's all a very delicate balance. You need yes. your estrogen to get your progesterone and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, needed for the correct development of many fetal organs, including the lungs, liver and kidneys to stimulate and support the correct function and growth of the, your, pl- your placenta and to promote the growth of your maternal breast tissue mm. um, and prepare for lactation. Yeah. So some other um, hormones are also produced and have... Um, so like you get uh, other hormones produced in pregnancy, including some cortisol, some elastin, mm. things that will make your ligaments feel relaxed relaxed relaxing 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 so like a lot of your joints and muscles feel looser yeah and, and you can be more prone to injury in pregnancy because of that so like earlier when we were talking about you know kind of in the lead up to becoming pregnant maybe taking up walking or taking up swimming what you don't want to do is get pregnant and then suddenly take up a load of exercise mm. that you were not doing beforehand because then you are putting yourself at risk of actually injuring yourself. Yeah. Um, but whatever exercise you're doing before pregnancy, you can then continue it on in pregnancy if you feel up to it. There's always that if you feel up to it and there's, you know, there's no pressure to do it. Yeah. It's only if what feels right for you. Absolutely. And generally speaking, this, becomes effect not effect no I can't think of the word it starts having an effect there is another word um around week seven to ten mm-hmm. and it's produced throughout the pregnancy mm-hmm. um so you can expect to feel that kind of loosening of things from yeah. then on really yeah. back pain and um, so so oftentimes oftentimes um when you've just found out that you're pregnant, really. Some of these symptoms are just starting to come up for you. So other symptoms that the hormones produce are morning sickness, which usually starts around week five or six of pregnancy, but should subside by week kind of 12 to 16. But a lot of women can suffer throughout pregnancy and there are some challenges of pregnancy that are kind of exacerbations of these normal uh, Mm-hmm. signs and symptoms that we might talk a little bit about shortly um this is going to be another bumper edition <laughs> bumper, <laughs> hope everyone has a big bumper. cup of tea yeah um i wanted to talk really briefly about fetal development that's happening at the same time great if i can find it um i as i said i'm going to link in the show notes some really good videos to watch on YouTube which go exactly it's really nice I think to see a visual of what's happening because it's very hard to describe it Mm -hmm. Um, basically after you have sex sperm travels through your cervix up into your uterus into the fallopian tubes hopefully meets an egg fertilises it and they start to develop um, together into a single cell called a zygote Mm -hmm. The macho sperm. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Well, we need to talk about the sperm because the myth is that the sperm does that. They're mar- the myth is that they're marathon runners, not even <laughs> marathon runners, Olympic sprinters. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like for a long, 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 long time, we've been told that the sperm is doing all of the work, and they racing. They're like racing, you know, desperately searching for you this know, egg. They have yeah. to be battling it out to the death. Yeah, yeah. and that the uterus 
cervix the egg are all just passively waiting there to be <laughs> invaded by the army <laughs> well let me tell you if you watch some of these videos on YouTube you will see in great detail what the lining of your uterus actually looks like and there's these loads of these little hair like things that are kind of they're both doing a thing with their fingers here and a sweeping <laughs> and sort of um, the villi are like a clam or a limpet suctioning those little fuckers along <laughs> Those lazy fuckers. They do nothing. No, they don't do nothing. They are swimming, in fairness. But basically, actually, your uterus and cervix doing these kind of sweeping motions with this hair-like lining is bringing the sperm to the egg. So there is an article we will also link that talks about the fact that basically what the sperm is doing is a myth. It's so good. It's It's really interesting. um, The macho sperm myth and it's... The tagline is, the idea that sperm are on an Olympian race to meet the egg is yet another male fantasy of human reproduction. (laughs) It's by Robert D. Martin. It's really, really good. Mm. So I'm going to give you the highlights reel of this. Excellent. So you've got a zygote then. Spends next few days traveling down. This is like a revision thing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm really into and it. Spends what? the next really few days it. traveling down the fallopian tubes. It's rapidly multiplying through numbers of cell divisions, changing size at a rate of knots. At a rate of knots. The embryonic stage, so when we call it an embryo, begins mm-hmm. on the 15th day after conception and actually continues until the eighth week. And generally, at that stage, your um, little embryo is 1.2 inches in length. It's a little, little bitty. Mm. Um, In and around week three is when we start to see the formation, the laying down of like um, the foundation blocks of organs and things like that. So there's like tubular development of things that will eventually become your heart, your brain, spinal cord and the beginnings of a gastrointestinal tract there. Um, In week four and five, we're about a quarter of an inch long. We start to see the beginnings of vertebra, so spine, jaw, larynx, and sort of outer things forming like eyes and ears. The heart remains outside the body at this stage, but does beat, beat, air quotes, air quotes, air quotes, air quotes <laughs> at a regular rhythm. Your arms and legs are little buds, but they are visible. Um, And your embryo has a little tail. Oh, very cute. Um, But at this stage actually cannot be distinguished from the embryo of, let's say, a pig, a rabbit, an elephant, a chicken. So it's remained very much. That got them into trouble, didn't it? That got the anti-choice campaign into trouble. They used uh, an elephant embryo during one of their... Oh, did they? Yeah. Those little scallywags. Yeah. Well, it was embarrassing, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in week six that we start to see some more noticeable features. Mm -hmm. So like nose jaw and then fingers toes but may they may still be webbed your tail is receding and your heart the heart is almost fully developed but still remains outside of the body of the embryo week seven to eight we're starting to see the formation and clear depiction of a face Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. distinguishable now from the other embryos of Mm -hmm. other creatures shall we say Um, and all of the essential organs have begun to form Mm-hmm. And then week eight, as I said, the embryo now resembles a human being. 
and is distinguishable. An external ear appears and we see the beginnings of external genitalia. And typically speaking, genitalia is distinguishable by the end of the first trimester, 12 weeks. Yeah. Not, uh, all, not, not always, but yeah. Not always. Yeah. But generally, we're between 12 to 14 weeks. Yeah. Genitalia should be distinguishable-ish. Yeah. If you can see, like, see it on a scan. Mm. It can be tr- very tricky to see at the size. I don't think they do, though. But I, they won't, they tell, won't you. tell you. No. Confidently, no, no. absolutely not. Um, in week eight, as I'm saying, facial features, external ear, genitalia, and the circulation through the umbilical cord from the placenta has developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the long bones for your future baby have begun to form and muscles around those long bones are able to start functioning. At this point, then we say that the embryo has become a fetus. Yeah. Um, All organs and structures are there to continue developing to form a full term newborn baby. Yeah. But it remains a fetus until that point. Yes. And then week 9 to 12, you're looking at around three inches in length, an ounce in weight. The head comprises nearly half of the fetus's size. The face is well formed. The eyelids are closed and will not reopen until about the 28th week. Creepily, which I I don't like this fact, tooth, <laughs> tooth buds are there for the baby teeth to appear. I don't like the idea of tooth buds, but they're there. They're there. Um, so that's basically what's kind of happening to your body. Your hormones are raging and mm. you're starting to feel sick, pee more, your breasts are getting tender, your joints are a bit looser. Um, and then your baby's just... Like, no wonder you're wrecked. Yeah. You've lost a lot of biz going on. going on. And there's loads of really interesting videos to find and little charts where you can f- compare and say, oh, I'm a size of a blueberry at around seven weeks, like for context... And so on and so forth. Will um, I'll throw up a few the kind of NHS and HSE? Yeah, they're really nice. I think things, and I think I've put in. I'll put in two or three videos on YouTube that are really nice to get a visual of exactly what's happening week by week. Great. It's getting late, Amy. Are you holding up? Okay. <laughs> I'm holding up. Yeah. Um. So we were going to discuss. So that was all obviously the normal physiological processes that are going on. Um, So we're going to just touch on some of the common and I suppose not so common, but, you know, more problematic things that can happen in early pregnancy. So bleeding, um, I'm going to talk about bleeding and pain. So bleeding is very common, but should never be viewed as normal and should always be investigated. So 20% of people will have bleeding in early pregnancy. So in the first trimester, um, the important things to note is that it doesn't always mean that there's something wrong. Um, one of the big factors can be from hormonal changes and changes to your cervix. And um, bleeding after sex can become kind of, you know, that can become an issue if it's never been an issue before. And mm-hmm. um, you can have spotting, brown discharge, um, kind of bleeding on wiping or bright red. Obviously, heavier bleeding or clots you know, passing clots or bleeding kind of like a period would be much more concerning. Yeah. Um, so any kind of bleeding, like, you know, anecdotally, you'll hear, you know, friends, family who've all had, you know, who've had bleeding and everything's fine. But the only way you're going to know and get reassurance is by contacting your hospital, 
going in, they'll do an assessment. So depending on what stage of pregnancy, it will either be mm. um, an uh, abdominal ultrasound or if it's early, they'll probably need to do a vaginal ultrasound, which isn't painful. Um, they'll do a speculum examination, which is, you know, speculum is the thing that you have at the start of your smear that they put into your vagina to have a look at your cervix to see if the cervix is starting to open, to see if they can see where the bleeding's coming from. Um, and they'll take a history and then other times you may need to have bloods done as well. Mm. So always get it checked out. Um, the majority of time it is, you know, things are fine and people can go on and have normal pregnancies um, as well. You know, obviously, unfortunately, it can be the start of a miscarriage. Um, so with pain, um, we would say, so kind of, again, hormonal changes can cause kind of mild cramping. That can just be from... Yeah. The growing uterus, hormonal changes, fetal growth, um, and generally speaking, kind of rest. If you need paracetamol, it should kind of ease. Anything that's, you know, really strong, painful cramping, particularly cramping that's or pain that's on one side needs to be investigated, investigated and you need to go to a hospital. Um, so I suppose with quite strong cramps or with cramping and bleeding, you know, that would be quite strongly indicative of a miscarriage. Um, so I suppose we're going to probably talk about this a lot more in detail we'll do, later. I think we'll do a full, yeah, a full episode on pregnancy loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose to say so. Miscarriage will happen in one to four and five pregnancies, um, the majority of which are going to happen in the first trimester. Um, Tommy's charity in the UK have, I think they've, I was reading on their website that they have started to, because there hasn't really been much research and mm. um, we can only really kind of tell women what's happening if they've had multiple miscarriages and then they have full screenings. Yes. So at the moment, you know, it, I suppose, it, it, you know, it is, it's so common, but obviously for some women just being told that's just the way it is. It's not really I know. It's reassuring so, or comforting. Yeah, it's so common, but it's also so sad yeah. To those individual people, you know, and yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that people don't talk about, which makes it even harder than when when it does happen, I think. And yeah, I but but at the same time, yes, it is common. And yes, we do see people who have a miscarriage and then go on to have, um, you know, successful births. It's exactly. not... It's not the, um, it doesn't define your reproductive life. No, that's really important to note. So having someone who has one, even two miscarriages, um, we wouldn't say that that would have an impact. It would be if someone has three miscarriages, we would say, you know, then that person is having recurrent miscarriages. And potentially there is something maybe a little bit more serious underlying that needs to be investigated. investigated. So Tommy's had really good resources. We'll link that website on um, in our show notes um, and then another thing which is very rare but I've put it in obviously because it can be life threatening if it's untreated and that's ectopic pregnancy so again incidences are very low affects 2% of all pregnancies um, and ectopic pregnancy is when the pregnancy is outside of the uterus so 95% of ectopic pregnancies will be in the fallopian tube so the egg doesn't travel 
down to the uterus it stays there and continues to grow and mm-hmm. um, it can also happen in your cervix your ovaries or your abdomen but that's much much rarer so signs of that would be bleeding with pain either one side you know either on your left side or your right side shooting pains dizziness feeling unwell um nausea diarrhea so anything anything kind of abnormal like that pain and bleeding is something you know yeah. as we say most of the time it's fine but just always go in and get checked out mm. um so Roisin had mentioned about nausea and vomiting in pregnancy um so I'm just going to mention the other end of the scale which is hyperemesis which is again quite rare so it's difficult for them to really have true figures because some of it is self-reported and yeah some of it is from their own statistics mm. so maybe 1.5 to 3% of pregnant women will suffer from hyperemesis so this is basically i suppose extreme pregnancy nausea and vomiting so it's characterized by severe protracted nausea and vomiting associated with weight loss more than five percent of your pregnancy weight dehydration and electrolyte imbalances so unlike nausea and vomiting which can sometimes be relieved with dietary changes um, and kind of you know staying hydrated this is something that requires management there's no actual cure as such just a management of symptoms and 60% of people who have hyperemesis will continue to have it for the rest of their pregnancy it doesn't actually go away yeah. after the it first time so awful so debilitating it's debilitating yeah yeah um so hyperemesis ireland have been set up in the last year or two haven't yeah, they yeah yeah and they're really two years max, such a good resource for anyone who has hyperemesis because it can just be really lonely and isolating. Um, and I suppose like, you know, I think they have to deal with people saying, oh, it's all part, you know, it's morning sickness mm. where it's like, no, you're vomiting yeah. nonstop from the moment you get up. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't and, do and anything. You can't do anything. No. You can hardly put your foot on the floor. Yeah. And and you're vomiting or if you're not vomiting, you feel so nauseated yeah. that you can hardly move. Uh, yeah, I think it's really, yeah, very lonely, as you say, Mia. But Absolutely. there are, like, there's lots of treatments. There's lots of medications. Yeah. Um, there's lots of ways that ma- symptoms can be managed. So yeah. it's just something that, you know, people need to kind of, again, access help. You will be listened to. If you're in a hospital, you will be listened to. You know, people who work in hospitals are very experienced with dealing with hyperemesis yeah. and have a lot of sympathy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you won't be fobbed off. You'll be prescribed medication. You'll be given proper treatment. Worth saying mm. when we're talking about, um, you know, making gifts to change the landscape of what we see on yeah. line for women who are suffering with hyperemesis. One of the most effective medications is not licensed. No. Cannot be gotten on the medical card. The medical card or the yeah. drug payment scheme. And it's so expensive. It's so really expensive. It costs about one euro per tablet and they have to take four tablets per day. Um, so if you imagine... It's actually more than that. It's it's think, almost a hundred euro a week. Uh, is it? Yeah. I thought it was... I thought it was... Maybe it's gotten cheaper, but someone was like... I know someone, they went and they were like, I can't... I thought it was... Yeah, I thought it was about 120 per month. Oh, okay. Just well, a month one, is better than a week, but yeah. it's still so... 
that's not affordable it's not to the majority no, of no, people. No, no, it's I really mean, not. I thought one of the really interesting things that you noted, Amy, was that like a third of pregnant women who just have n- quote unquote normal pregnancy mm. morning sickness need time off work yeah. Yeah. to manage their symptoms. So you can only imagine then if you're suffering with hyperemesis and possibly missing loads more work. Yeah. That, mm. that amount of money to try and manage your symptoms is a huge undertaking. Yeah, and a massive stress. Do you follow Amy Schumer on Instagram? Yes. Like, I loved her whole, you know, when she had her baby and she was like, I vomited for my entire pregnancy, you know, mm. and why? Like, there's no research done in this. But yeah. like, if your dick is broken, we're going to throw hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. at making yeah. sure that it's fixed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's like women vomiting in pregnancy. That's just you're meant to just get on with it. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was amazing. She had so many good posts about oh, hyperemesis. Oh, following her. Yeah, she did. About I do remember she really hearing something awareness. where she was doing like stand-up shows on walking off stage to vomit into yeah. a bucket at the side of yeah. the stage. Yeah. And she'd be in in hospital receiving fluids for a few hours before. Oh my God. Just to be able to actually Stand get up. through. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. horrific. Um, actually, her Netflix special that she recorded when she was heavily pregnant is hilarious. Oh. Well worth a watch. A little, little plug. A little plug. Plug, Amy. if you're listening. <laughs> uh, really appreciate it. Really liked your Netflix uh, special. Thought it was really good. It's worth a watch. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, I think that's... No, you wanted to you, tell us a couple... Yeah, you wanted to tell us a little bit about Pika and Tylism symptoms. Oh, I was going to talk about Pika and Tylism, wasn't I? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So Pika um, is something that we see every now and again, but Pika is basically the consumption of non-food materials. Um, so common ones in pregnancy, coal, um, mud. Eating mud is associated with having a low hemoglobin. Same with eating ice. If you, mm. you know, lots of women eat ice. Obviously, ice is not the same as as mud. Um, you know, <laughs> in that ice is a food stuff to a degree. Um, eating things like sponges, uh, fire lighters. I met a woman My teeth are sweating again this episode, <laughs> thinking of this. I met a woman once who used to eat, um, she was eating cigarette ash. She would run her finger on the bottom of an ashtray and lick it. <gasps> she couldn't. That was all she wanted to do. She wasn't a smoker. Herself. That's like back when everyone used to smoke in people's houses and you'd find a can and drink it. Oh, and then the party and like the ashtray can. Yeah. Um, so there's no uh, lab test to actually diagnosed, uh, diagnose uh, PICA. It's recognised as, as an eating disorder. Um, so um, it basically it can be helpful to talk to the mental health team um, in the hospital to find kind of ways of coping with the cravings. That's sort of the only way to manage it. I Um, suppose it would be important to say that consuming certain things would be, could be very risky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Chemical Um, containing things. Chemicals and things like paint. That's another thing that Mm. some some people um, eat. Yeah. Pieces of bricks. Um, I had a friend who really liked soap and she was kind of would just smell the face cloths that had just been washed and Mm. kind of just be like she's like I know I'm not going to eat the soap but I really want to eat the soap (laughs) yeah (laughs) it must be such a disconcerting feeling absolutely yeah yeah Um, and then tilism is something that we see Um, so 
Tylism is excessive saliva production. It's thought to be uh, related uh, to basically if a woman is really nauseated, uh, then she's not swallowing as much, along with um, the salivary glands producing extra saliva to help to protect the esophagus from the feeling of acid mm. in the tummy. Okay. Um, so it can affect anyone outside of pregnancy, but it is commonly seen in pregnancy more so in the first trimester. And then it does tend to ease after that. Um, but it can be very uncomfortable for women who feel their mouth is constantly watering or their teeth are sweating like you guys have described <laughs> um like their mouth is constantly watering um and they have a lot of saliva in their mouth when they're talking and i'm sure you guys see it all the time as well like where someone will have like a jam a jar bucket, yeah. in yeah. their bag and they're constantly having to spit into it or spit into tissues and then they feel you know they just feel not clean um so i suppose knowing that it gets easier is just kind of part of the battle um but things like eating um sugar-free um you know boiled sweets or chewing gum Gum, can make it easier to swallow the saliva that can sort of can make it easier but it is it's very uncomfortable and it's very um embarrassing for people you know if you're going to work you're on a long lewis or bus journey to work and you're constantly taking something out and spitting into it um you know, it can be yeah. very, very oh, uncomfortable God. for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't see them particularly uh, commonly. As I say, Pika, we see quite rarely. Uh, Tylism, we would see more. Um, but it does tend to to ease off um, after the first um, after the first trimester. Yeah. So enjoy those first 12 weeks. Yeah. It's a lot like. It's a lot. It's a lot. I th- yeah. And I think people don't talk about it enough that. It no, can it's be hard. very uncomfortable and challenging and... People aren't telling anyone. Even. Yeah. yeah. As happy as you are to be pregnant, you can be absolutely miserable absolutely. with all of these bits and bobs mm. going on. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's a time when I'm very much into, like, you know, tell people you're pregnant whenever you want to tell them that you're pregnant. Yes. I don't think it's a big secret that you have to keep... Until this traditional, Mm. oh, 12 weeks, you know, if you're pregnant and you're happy to be pregnant and you want to hear somebody else say congratulations and well done, well, then you tell them that you're pregnant and that's great. And let's celebrate this pregnancy and, you know, be happy about it. Um, So, you know, I remember on my first pregnancy, I didn't really tell anyone until I was over that kind of 12 weeks. I wasn't really sure. And I was kind of, you know just very nervous about the whole thing and I felt so sick and I was so tired and it's it was really difficult in work and all mm. I wanted to say was I'm pregnant and I don't feel very well and for whatever reason I at that time I didn't feel that I could do that mm. and it was it was really challenging but you know the second time round, I was like <laughs> I was trapped in there for three days in that fucking snowstorm <laughs> oh my and god Tara. <laughs> oh. I, was, I was so sick and I was so tired and I just wanted to go home and on my third night shift I just burst out crying I was leaning on one of the girl's shoulders and I said I'm pregnant and I want to go home <laughs> I think I was seven weeks you know and I just was like yeah I'm just, oh I'm just putting it out there um, but Roisin and I were drinking wine to 
sleep. <laughs> Literally, oh my God, locked in between H-Sashi. A, a hotel and a hospital yeah. 24-7 for three days straight. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I do, I know that we have that thing of, oh, you know, wait till the 12 weeks, but I actually really think it's okay. Do yeah. what's right for you. Do what's, do what's right, right for you. For you. It, does touch nicely on kind of mental health in early pregnancy and if you need to yeah. tell people or you don't need to tell people you have to yeah, you'll take know care what's of right. you check in with your mental health and bring it up at one of your visits yeah. your first visits or f- talk to a friend if you're feeling feelings that you're worried about in absolutely. early pregnancy yeah absolutely yeah really nice Nice note to, okay. to end on. Um, I was about to say thanks for coming along. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for Again, coming along. no dear funny questions this week, but um, always happy to have them sent in to us, Tara, because you're the only one that remembers this the right way around. Yonic Boom Podcast at gmail.com and at Boom Yonic on Instagram. Thank you to our producers and our studio, Denmark Studios. And we will catch you later. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. While we are medical professionals and we love answering your questions, this pod should never be used in place of a real life consultation with a midwife or doctor. If you have a serious concern about your health or a medical emergency, please go to your GP.